Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to a lot of interesting and amazing people from across the comedy world. Now today's guest is an absolute beast in comedy. He is the he is a man who conquers any stage. All audiences love his banter. They absolutely love him. He is an amazing comedian in Scotland. He's been in a notorious and fantastic program called Scott Squad. And he has the fantastic name, Darren Connell. Here we are. Thank you very much. I felt like a boxer there about to walk into a fight. <laughs> Thank you. The- should I make you feel like a meditation monk and say, this man is the Zen of comedy. He med- <laughs> makes audiences become enlightened. <laughs> when you said he was the beast of comedy, I was like, not that type of beast. <laughs> There's a lot of beasts in comedy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yes. That's a- <laughs> <What was> that? <laughs> when you say beast, he means funny. I'm not a beast. Yes, Just in that's case, what I meant. <laughs> if anybody outside of Scotland's listening to this, like, who's that beast? <laughs> yes, I didn't mean the 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 iffy kind. I meant like the cool kind that makes audiences laugh. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> there are a lot of um, beasts in comedy, and all I say to that is, I focus on what I can do and what I can control. Be polite. And I try not to go near any female comics and focus on, like, if you're if you're if you're dating, if you what they say, don't shit where you eat, isn't it? Yeah, here. I, I mean, we don't want to get into it too much, but I've yeah. had um, you're saying don't get, go near female comics, and it is hard for females in comedy. I completely understand that, and yeah. the majority of people that are getting targeted in comedy are females. But I've had some uh, terrible experiences with um, male promoters too. Oh, so, there we go. Oh God! <laughs> and and the fact that you tell them, uh, "Sorry, mate, I'm not gay," um, that doesn't really mean anything. So there we go. M- we can move on for that. Yes, let's move on. Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean that I've been uh, pumped. By the way, I feel like I need to clear that up. <laughs> This is like the, the worst start of my podcast ever. I'm so sorry. I've, I basically said a gay promoter's tried to shag me and I'm not a beast. <laughs> well, I, I, that's cool. That, that's, yeah, we just focus on what we can draw. We enjoy it. Com- the best thing in comedy is we enjoy making people laugh and like we have so much fun with some great acts along the way. That's the thing about comedy. That makes what everything all worthwhile. Awesome. But... How did you um, like get started in like comedy and what was the thing? I know a lot of comedians, they say they're the funniest person in school or they say that they stumbled into it from acting or what, what was your sort of unique moment of how you became a comic? You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't think I went down the, the usual route of how comedians do it. My entire life, I never really had a goal. And when I left school, I just left. I just went into school and left that day. I never had any grades or anything to take away from school. And I just got a job in a supermarket. 
and I really just accepted like work to live that type of mentality and um, I joined a TV course called television production and sound recording uh, because I was always interested in TV and acting and stuff and when I started that course I realised it wasn't for me and I did not enjoy it at all and I didn't leave the course I wanted to stay at the course because I was getting my bursary and when I was in the class I just started being a class clown really Ooh. out out of pure boredom I just started trying to make laugh people <laughs> laugh and there was a guy that put us aside after class one day and he was like mate you should do stand-up comedy and at that time I was 18 years old I never knew that you could get comedy clubs I, I was so naive I lived in such a small little bubble in my life I couldn't name a comedian outside of Billy Conley or Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. That was it. I couldn't name any other people. And he told me, he's like that, the Stand Comedy Club is in Glasgow. It's open seven nights a week. And you can go and you can get a spot there. And he planted a seed for me there. As soon as he told me that, it was like a light bulb moment in my head. And I was like, oh, these crazy thoughts that are just constantly running through my head. I can write it down on a bit of paper. And that's kind of how it started for me. It was a very long stuttering start and how I actually started to eventually gig. I probably started gigging all the time until I was, uh, when I was 24. That's when I started and before then, I was dropping in and out of doing open spots and really failing miserably at it. But I eventually got there. Hmm. It's one of the things that hmm, I, would a comedian's more thick skin to rejection than perhaps maybe other because we, we or other performing arts because we get up on stage so many times way more than any other, I'd say. I think at the start, it's constant rejection and you're finding your voice and you're struggling and you don't know if you're funny. So I used to be a nervous wee guy. I could never speak to people. Um, I would never start a conversation. And, and going through that in the earliest start of my life uh, really, really helped me as a, as a person. It made me more confident. It also made me realise, like, it doesn't really matter how bad you do on stage. Um, life goes on as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you there. We take a lot of we take a lot of shit, but I think it balances out. Is is it? Did you? So I mean, you've done a bit of acting as well, haven't you? I know that yes. you've got squads and a lot. Does, does that annoy you a bit when people keep mentioning, oh, you're in Scott Squad and all of that, and then you're a comic as well? Do, do you get people in, mentioning it when you go on stage afterwards? Oh, I loved you in Scott Squad. Well, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't mind. Honestly, like, my life before stand-up comedy was, I was a trolley boy in Asda, Safeway, and Morrison's. 
like that was my life. Uh, I worked there to get money for drink at the weekends with my mates. I never went to drama school. I never done anything like that. I come from a working class family. And when I got a Scott Squad, like it's changed my life. Um, I can say that I'm a self-employed stand-up comedian now. So if anybody shouts to me on stage that, you know, Bobby or somebody says to me after a gig that they love Scott Squad or I, I'm, I love it. Like I'll never, ever get bored of it. Um, I'm always grateful for it. Um, I mean, and I always wear glasses that are similar to the character. If I wear my contact lenses, I never get spotted. But as soon as I wear my glasses, I always get spotted. I found myself like talking to people in the street, like for 30, 30 40 minutes. And I'm like, all right, mate, I need to go, man. Like, I need to go and pay a bill or. <laughs> meet my mate and stuff I'm going to be late but I'll happily talk to people and uh, it still tickles to me. it still tickles me and I'm still grateful for it as well hmm. it's do, do, do are they different in some ways in terms of like when you're being when you're performing a role an actor like when you're being a comic what would you say is the setup of that and the skills required would you say well, I'm very aware that Scott Squad's a different beast because it's it's improvised. Scott Squad's an improv show. It's maybe 90% improv. So I know that it's probably it's different how they run things. Uh, I think the me being a stand-up comedian has helped me with Scott Squad. And that's how I got Scott Squad. Uh, Joe Hullett seen me do stand-up comedy on a pub one night and that's why I got an audition. Oh. Um, so stand-up is t- completely different from Scott Squad because you could get picked up at six in the morning, you're getting took into set, you're in a makeup chair for half seven and then you're on a set for 9 a.m. They, they show you a wee bit of paper that says... Bobby runs into the station with a jar of pickles and then they're like, yeah, make that funny. So that's quite strange. But after um, this is the eighth season, after eight seasons, you, you kind of get used to it. It's like a, a muscle memory in a way. Did, did, does, did, did it help in some ways of the stand-up? Like, did it help? Because you're testing different skills, and there's the bits from that that you took into your stand-up. To to Scott Squad. No, from Scott Squad into your stand-up when you're on stage. Uh, yes, it's made me fearless of improvising. Uh, when I'm on stage doing stand-up comedy, I I used to be very militant and having a set. I'd still have a set, but. It's made me feel like if you forget something or if you dry up, it's, it's made me not as scared. It's also made me not as scared to kind of talk to the crowd and um, especially a Glasgow crowd. I, I invite heckles almost. And a lot of my show can, me, can just be me getting heckled and putting the heckler down. Uh, so I've, I've took all that from Scott Squad. I've, I've, I run a heckler's night occasionally at some of the nights that I run. I find them quite interesting. 
and before I host, that I find it very, if I go into the stage like completely flat, I'm not able to improvise or deal with any hecklers. I have to like maybe do at least a, a, maybe half an hour of prep, like writing stuff down, get my mind sharp and punchlines. And I've, do, when you're sort of dealing with hecklers, are you able to just deal with them naturally without having to do any sort of prep or any sort of sharpness before you go on stage? I know you mentioned a bit about they are my mates and all that, but do you do any other th sort of things to deal with the nobbit? <laughs> I mean, not not really, because like you can you can get people that just disrupt this the show by talking or just making noise, and I can't do anything about that, so I just get them chucked out. But if it's if it's going along with my joke or it's something spontaneous that we can feed off. I'll go for it. Um, Prep-wise, I don't really think, uh, what should I say if I get echoed? I, I kind of just do it on the spot. It's like, um, I do kind of feel like it's an outer body experience when it's when it's happening to me, to be honest. Um, but I've, I haven't really gave it any thought or any prep. I think it's just purely by gigging so much and for so long that I'm able to handle it. And I, I don't even know why I'm able to handle it. I used to be really offended when I was younger, actually. See, when people um, heckled me when I was a new act, I used to really take that badly. And it used to ruin the gig as well because I never knew how to react. And I think back to that time, like, I've just, you know, sharpened it up and learned how to deal with it. And, and now I actually enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> are you Jimmy Carr sort of level? Do you, do you, do you, do you rip them apart or do you, are you lighter than the YouTube destroys heckle videos we often see? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really depends if someone, if it's going with my joke. I mean, if the person's trying to get better than me, I'll, I'll go harsher. But if it's going along with the joke, then I'll still make myself the joke. But if they're trying to derail my my, my joke or my punchline, then I think it's fair game. I wouldn't say, I don't even know if it's like Jimmy Carr, maybe... Yeah, I'd probably say so, aye. Jimmy Carr, Frankie Boyle, it's pretty harsh. Oh. Pretty harsh. You, put, you sort them out proper. <laughs> mm -hmm. So with the Scottish comedy scene, I know that it's one thing I noticed, in all sort of parts in the UK, scenes are slightly different and audiences are slightly different in their humour. Is that sort of the same sort of case in Scotland, like in Aberdeen... Edinburgh, Glasgow, like the, do you do you adjust things slightly? It's definitely different. Um, I feel like Glasgow. I honestly feel like on a Friday or a Saturday night, I could go up and say whatever I wanted to say, and it would it go well. Um, same way any any night in Glasgow, uh, Aberdeen's really good, but it's a bit different. But I have noticed when it gets further north, like Aberdeenshire, um, where it's like out in the country, proper country stuff, it can get tough. 
Um, Edinburgh's tough as well. Um, because sometimes you go into a comedy club, and I mean it's like the fringe. Like one day I did, uh, I did, I did a gig in Edinburgh, and it was to a room full of African women. Yeah. There was just there was there was no men, there was no English speaking people there, and I went up, and in my set, in my in my comedy, I talk about alcoholism, I talk about ecstasy, I talk about suicide attempts, you know, all that stuff. And I'm standing in front of all these African women and I just look at the compare and I'm like, mate, mate, please help me. I don't know what to do. And he <laughs> and he was from the back of the room shouting, keep going, keep going. And I was like, I can't keep going. Nobody can understand me. We were saying this to each other in a room full of silence. And I just said, I have to get off stage. So... I walked off stage, but I was say I was like doing this to all these African women. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know that's the beauty of Edinburgh because I've also did a room full uh, full of Australians, and the Australians loved it. But sometimes, uh, yeah, Edinburgh kind of it doesn't scare me, but. I know that when I go to Edinburgh, you're like, there's probably a chance that there might be a room full of non-Scottish people here and it's going to be a tough, tough room. But yeah, I've totally noticed a difference between Edinburgh, Glasgow. Um, Dundee is amazing. Dundee's very similar to Glasgow. But I, it's, uh, it's definitely different. Hmm. It's... Which, what's um what's the worst thing you can do in each scene? <laughs> if if I go in with an England top, which would would that would that be a off start for all of Scotland? You'd probably get away with it uh, if you were doing something that wasn't a typical stand up comedy night, like something at the Monkey Barrel, or like something that would invite character acts. But if you wore an England top in Glasgow, I don't think you you wouldn't you would be safe, but yeah. you would die in your ass. <laughs> like you you would absolutely die in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, pro- it'd be funny though. It'd probably be funny. <laughs> it would be funny. Yeah, the faces of what the fuck is this dickhead doing? <laughs> yeah. And the promoter, it could be a funny little YouTube video. I'd take a picture of the promoter's face, the audience's face. I'm confused and be all chill. But then as soon as I go on stage, wear a big England shirt saying, I love England. (laughs) Yeah, I think you could do that in Edinburgh. You'd do that in Edinburgh. (laughs) Nowhere else. (laughs) It's... Do you, do you gig a lot sort of in the north-west of England as well and north of England? Do you go around there as well? I actually started to gig in England before the pandemic. Um, I, I had a lot of personal things with my family, for some family members that I was looking after and stuff. And I've always been able to earn a living and gig in Scotland. And then I started to gig in England when my fa- some of my family were like, independent so I started getting some gigs and then the pandemic hit 
and it was just you know you know how crazy that was so this this is me this year last year was my I did my first ever tour and I got that out of the way and it was very successful and now this year I am getting back down to England so I've got the stand in Newcastle and I'm I've trying to get some gigs in London uh, because there's a lot of comedians that Scottish comedians that I know that have went down and they've always been like how come you've never gigged in England and I'm like sometimes family comes first man there's there's life there's life outside the comedy so I'm I'm not like devastated that I've never really done it but I am I'm looking forward to getting down now um so i'll be down more often now that's definitely on my list i just confirmed the date for newcastle there and um i've got the email for top secret comedy i think Ah, yeah so i'm going to try and get down there and i would love to go over to ireland as well um i'd love to gig gig in ireland but they better pay for it. They better make it pay for it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You'd probably be better off going over to Ireland and gigging in London than doing the Fringe. That's what I think, anyway. Why would you say that? Is just because you'd be more... What, what What makes you say that? It's just that you'd get more... It'd be easy to get an audience, would you say? I don't know about an, an audience, but I feel like uh, I think the fringe is a bubble. Unless you've got this big, massive team behind you that you know that there's going to be agents, promoters, and reviewers in, then I don't really see the point in doing it. Uh, so may, maybe it'd be more beneficial to try and be in the circuit in England and Ireland and stuff, but. Possibly. I wouldn't take my advice on that, mate. I would find your <laughs> I'd find your own kind of way. Yeah. Well, I spoke to a Canadian comic on the podcast and he, he um when he was seventeen, he tried to get in the yuck yucks and the guy said to him, Comedy's not for everyone. Um your set wasn't very good <laughs> and I don't want you to come here. And then he, he said something like that. But what he decided to do, I guess because he wasn't able to get in that club he decided to just do his own shows and he's made yeah. like for from the age of 17 to now 37 he's he's made his whole living just doing tour shows and yeah like that's that's what he does all across canada and canada's like a very difficult scene because the seat it's very hard to travel from this place to that place and so many yeah. come to london to get paid work but he was able to break that and just make his full-time living from just doing his own shows. Good on him. And, do you know, I'm at a stage in my life, mate, like, see, with the pandemic and all that stuff, I'm very much at this... I'm In a way, I'm glad that lockdown happened because when I was getting work, successful work, Scott Squad won a BAFTA, when I was selling out solo shows, I was never in the moment. I was never enjoying it. I was always thinking... How come I can't get a bigger venue? How come I can't get another acting work? How come I can't get this? How come he's getting that and I'm not getting this? 
and then the pandemic the pandemic happened and it made me very very grateful for what I've achieved and for what I'm doing and I said to my friends um Susie McCabe she's an amazing stand-up comedian I said to Susie I was like look I can pay my bills man fuck it I can pay my bills and I've got a roof over my head and I'm doing my my dream as a job. So I'm not going to look at people that are selling out these massive venues or things like that and get jealous. I'm, I'm earning a living and I'm very happy to be earning that living. And uh, But I'm still looking forward to getting down to, to London and, uh, you know, outside of Scotland, really. Of course. She's 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 a cool cool lady, man. I, I messaged her to get on. I was quite happy. She's too busy at the moment to get on, but like she was, yes, yeah, she was lovely lady, and she was really polite. And like Gary Little as well. Like you'd think that maybe because they're so high up and all that, that they'll maybe be a bit of a uh, different. But they're they're really cool and down to earth. The people in Scotland that are funny are the are the. You never get a person, from my experience, all the bitter, jealous, and negative people are the people that are not funny. <laughs> um, that's it. That's it, man. Gary Little, Susie McCabe, Raymond Mearns, you've got Mark Jennings. All these people have got funny bones. Kevin Bridges, Frankie Boyle, you never hear about them being assholes. They, they just do their thing, and that's it. It's... If it's everybody else that's like, how come I can't get this or how, how come I can't get that? And you're like, well, maybe you should just try and be funny. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That is the best put down for that. <laughs> Somebody said that to me. He's like, how come I can't get in Scott Squad? And I don't know what I hurt the guy's feelings. I was like, mate, you can't even get fucking five minutes at Red Raw at the stand. Uh, see if you can get five minutes at Red Raw the stands then you should be asking yourself some questions you know <laughs> I'm sorry mate sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair but you yeah, know what you said is quite true I think I think it's because they've achieved a lot of success they're confident and they know that they're funny and they enjoy doing it so they don't have the uh, the animosity that perhaps others have because they have they they can't deal with certain things happening so the only way of handling that is by having a go at other people yes yes and also having self-awareness as well and being able to accept that sometimes you'll die in your ass and sometimes you'll be shite and i have went up and i have i've had some of the most horrific gigs and when i've like it makes you question reality you're like why am i doing this i should go to college and get a trade, I should get a job. But you just need to pick yourself up and realise that you win some and you lose some. And w- when you win some, you you enjoy it. And then when you when you die in your arse, you just learn from it and move on. It's fun. Well, no, not fun, but it's it's it, it's part of it's part of the game. And it's it's just, just the way it is. It's the yeah. beast. If you if you can't handle it, then come then that's Get out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's a bit like in sort of, it's a bit like being needy if people don't like you, isn't it? It's just the way it is. Just some people don't like you, some people don't. Who gives a shit? 
Yeah, I'm I'm totally cool with that. That's that goes to promoters as well. Like some people don't book you, some people don't like you. I mean, I, I take. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but have you ever seen a promoter or a comedian that no matter where you see them, you might always be shite in front of them? Oh yeah. So I've got a couple of comedians, and I'm like, mate, you're my fucking. You're bad luck to me. Every time you're here, I die on Mars. Uh, but you know, I, you don't. As soon as you realise that you don't need to prove yourself in front of people and just try your best, then that's all that matters. Yeah, it's I definitely at the start. I don't think me and you had that. I mean, we, we, we that that thing sort of goes. What that thing is completely opposite. Yeah. With, do you notice any difference in terms of the sort of the banter or the interaction in terms of from the UK and Scotland? Because I've interacted with a few Scottish comedians and they seem quite lighthearted and willing to banter and joke around, perhaps more so than some of the comedians that I encounter from down south. Not all, but some. Some some are a bit more held back. Whilst in Scotland, you some of you guys seem quite more easy going to let it all out and be have a laugh yeah i, I can't compare it to the english circuit because i'm not i'm not a massive part of it but when you're in a green room in scotland and it's a professional night it's a great laugh and uh you know some some of the car shares to gigs are just you know you've got a you could have a kids TV presenter, a radio host. Then you've got me from Scott Squad, and then somebody else. And then some of the stuff you're saying to each other, you're like, "Thank God, thank God, there's not a microphone in here because it's just so vicious." But that you realise that it's a joke, and you're just trying to make each other laugh. But I have found that um, the the Scottish circuit can be there's levels to this the Scottish circuit like. Green rooms can be a horrible place to be in. Uh, but what I've found is that those horrible green rooms aren't, they're not the Gary Littles and they're not the Susie McCabe's. So um, it's not all kind of sunshine and lollipops, but it, it is a good circuit and it's a, a good laugh. But then you get that from the crowd in Glasgow as well. Sometimes people heckle me and they're talking to me, and in my head I'm like, "Do I know that guy? I feel like I know him or I've met him." Or, but they're just very over, over familiar and very friendly. Uh, to the point. I mean, you'd probably get that if you came to Glasgow, mate. You'd be like, "He's talking to me like I'm his cousin or something." It's uh, it's a bit mental. <laughs> it would be funny to meet 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 uh, you know, when they do family trees or something. And you're looking for a relative, and then they say, "Why? Well, I'm your cousin." Oh no! And then it turns out to be true. <laughs> He's like that with England top. There you go. <laughs> oh, you were not cousins now. <laughs> no, it's uh, well. <clears throat> I hear, I hear from like up north and like in Scotland and other parts of the country that and the Midlands. Like the pay is way better than in down south. I don't know f 
fully, but that's what I keep hearing from a lot of people like gig from up north and in Scotland or whatever, and they come down here and they say that the pay seems to be way better. And they, I don't know, I've not always gigged up north or Midlands or all that, but I'm guessing maybe in certain parts of the country there's more of a workers mindset as well as a business mindset whilst maybe down south we're just focused on more on the bucks and says so maybe the pay is not as great in england do you think comedians are more focused on stage time rather than getting paid i wouldn't necessarily say that but i'd say that the pay is not as big from what i hear from bigger comics they always say that the pay is nowhere near as up north or in Scotland and some of them have said from listening to some podcasts they say they want to get people from London to come over so that's why they pay so much as well yeah I mean I wouldn't say it's uh, I mean it's certainly not life changing and I think uh, to a certain degree if a promoter is going to put especially in Glasgow Darren Connell Bobby from Scott Squad and it's like £20 a ticket and he's only offering me a hundred quid. I'll be like, you know, you've got three hundred people in this room, mate. It's twenty pound a ticket. You're wanting me to headline it. My face is on the poster. You'd need to do a wee bit better than that. But I've never, uh, I've never been conned or or robbed or anything. And if I have had that experience, because there is some dodgy cowboy promoters in Scotland, but. Uh, people just don't gig for them. It's, it's it's that simple. It has happened in a bit in the UK. There's a few instances like there's um, but they what they did they went to the small claims court to go and um get it off them. And I know I heard a lot of things about the what's his face the jongler's chain, and like yeah. it was bought by someone else. Like she owed loads, not her, but like the company owed loads of people money. But people still gig for them anyway because there was such yeah. a big. So I started gigging round about the time that that just happened. So I missed, I missed the Jongleurs circuit. I think I got one gig from Jongleurs, and they paid me. And then the venue get raided by the police or something. It was pretty intense. Uh, but yeah, I think her name is Julie. Uh, she's a. I've never had a problem with her. She's always been amazing. Uh, but yeah, the the people that were behind the scenes, I think they they were dodgy. Hmm. But yeah, there's a couple of guys in Scotland that are cowboys, but the prof- the professionals don't gig for them, and uh, it's just got to the point that they need to get open spot comedians to gig for them, or or openers and middle kind of support. But that's what you get. If you play with feathers, you get your arse tickled, as they say. <laughs> I've not heard that. <laughs> I don't even know where I heard that from, but I like to apply it to my life. Yeah, effectively, if, if, you, if you don't pay the right price, you can't expect to get the big dogs. You'll get the little dogs. Yeah, yeah. But that's a good phrase. <laughs> might be. I think might... that's. <laughs> I, I don't know who it is actually. I think it's a Max and Paddy quote. Oh, 
Facts and padding, okay. You always get great quotes from films, don't we? Yeah. Films. Do you, do you follow any quotes from movies or, or TV shows apart from that one? I think you were going to ask me about a quote, weren't you? What, what's the one that you, you live by? Yeah. So I'm, go I'm going to bastardise this, right? Because I heard that I love the Marx Brothers. Absolutely love the Marx Brothers. And I listened to a podcast called the Marx Brothers Podcast Council. And they were talking about, I've took a note of it, Sid James from the Carry On films. Yeah. Now, I'm not a fan of the Carry On films. I've not found, I don't find them funny. It's not that I dislike them, it's just not my cup of tea. And I think Sid James, who was obviously a massive actor back in the day, he got a part in a show and he was rehearsing. And he, was, he wasn't doing good at all. He was very low energy to the point that the producer pulled him aside and was like, James, um, I don't mean to be cheeky, mate. I know that you're like a comedy god, but I think you're struggling here and I don't think it's going to work. And I think he said something along the lines of, a boxer keeps his fight for the ring. And then by the time the show came, he was superb. He was absolutely amazing. So I like I like that because when I do rehearsing, I've done panto and stuff. I've I've found myself and I'm no I'm no comparing myself to Sid James, absolutely not comparing myself, but I have found myself struggling through rehearsing. To the point that I'm like, I think I'm shit and I'm not good enough. Um I've been I've been looking at scripts like totally like what but but the but but like all that stuff. And then when it comes to show time, I seem to always kinda do well. But the the build up to show time is really, really horrific. And when I had a similar situation that when I was doing pantomime, um, I was really during rehearsal. I was I was awful. I was awful, and the the director was like that. Ah. I could kind of feel that he was like, "How the fuck did he get this gig?" And then I just knew in my head by the time the show starts, I'll be good. I know I'll be good. And it happened. And he said that to me one night. He's like, ah, mate, I thought you were shite. And he's like, as soon as you got in front of a crowd, you were incredible. And then I was listening to that, uh, the Marx Brothers podcast, and I heard that quote about Sid James, and I just was like, no way. That's kind of how, how I operate. Like, I don't really, when I'm preparing for stand-up comedy, I don't really think about it too much. I don't overthink it. I don't write my jokes out word for word. I kind of get a bit of paper, put bullet points down, scan them, and then just think, if you think about it too much, you'll be shite. And then anytime I get to a stage or start a show or something like that, I do, I do feel like similar to that quote, like a boxer saves his fight for the ring. Hmm. Sorry if that was too cheesy or I'm rambling shite, but... Uh, I, I do think that. 
So if that is this, you just um, leave things at different places. You don't bring you, you don't bring things from other parts of your life into work. Well, it's like you know, I don't, I don't even know if it's that, but it's like if you watch someone rehearse and they're given one hundred and ten percent during rehearsals, like I don't, I can't operate like that. I give one hundred and ten percent on stage in front of an audience, but I can't do it during rehearsals. Yeah. And I feel like it benefits my performance when I'm when I kind of, you know. You know, I don't. If you if you give a hundred and ten percent, I think you can be exhausted by the time the show starts. Because yes. I'm always I'm exhausted after gigs. Every every time I do stand up comedy, I feel unwell. I'm sick. I feel sick with like adrenaline dumps and all that stuff. So I'm like, I I give so much to stand up comedy that if I'd done that during writing or whatever, I would probably be ill. So. I think that's my process, but I think it was something along the lines of a boxer keeps his fight for the ring, and I'm like, yeah, I can that that connects with me somehow. Yeah, makes sense. But that would be quite something. That that's one thing I would not want to see in the green room is see so many comics pause their tragic like like <clears throat> bringing all their problems. Like all, all in one room, telling all this sad stuff. You want to focus on the job at hand. So yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Just focus it like you're. So you're you're very business like when you go into the gigs. Oh, right now I treat it like a job. Absolutely treat it like <clears throat> a job. It's not my social life. I don't drink alcohol anyway. So I turn up at the gig. I will sit in the green room. I will be professional. I talk to the stand-up comedians and as soon as my gig is done I will stay and watch the other comedians but um, I go home like if I if I let that world become my personal life then that's not healthy for me I can't do it hmm. is following from what we said in the chat everything is there what, what is one thing that we should change in comedy what was one thing if you had a magic wand that you change your comedy right now? I think I think there's a couple of things that I think there should be some type of union for stand-up comedians with you know a pension and stuff that we could all pay into, maybe something along those lines. Um I know that there's a, it's quite, I mean, it, it has been cleaned up a lot and there's a lot of bad people that have been found out and stuff. So that's good. But I feel like there's a lot of promoters that do get away with a lot of things. And I just feel like it should be more equal. And when you're going to get paid for a gig, you shouldn't be worried about not getting paid for it. So I feel like there was there should be things set up for all that stuff. Um, but I've also found that we're quite a serious bunch for comedians. Um, when I first started, I could gig seven days a week and it was just a laugh. It, it was genuinely a laugh, but 
uh, people seem to be like really offended now. Like comedians, I'm not even talking about punters. They seem to be easily offended. Um, you know, sometimes you can see it on the comedy forums. They're just vicious to each other, bullying, all that stuff. But if if I was to change one thing, there wouldn't be a major, a major thing to change. Like that needs to go, or or anything like that. It would just be, it'd be those things. I think. I think we need to get back to. When I went to a comedy club, uh, I I went there to escape reality, and it took me out of reality for a couple of hours, and I was able to laugh and forget about problems in my life yeah. and now when I when I go into a comedy club sometimes it's a bit fucking serious man like uh, people getting offended with jokes and all that stuff so I think we, we need to take it back to to what it was before it's just people talking shit on a stage into a mic and if it's funny it's funny and if it's not then don't try and ruin the person's life yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah I know some horror stories of that yeah right that's the take guys so guys if you're a regular punter laugh easy going and if you're a comedian namaste <laughs> <clears throat> now for people that are listening now how do they find out about you do they find you on telegram whatsapp patreon Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, where, where's the best place to reach you? So I have Twitter. It's at DarrenConnell87. Um, I've got Facebook. It's just DarrenConnell. And same with Instagram, DarrenConnell. And I've got a podcast. It's called Straight White Whale. And if you can't remember that, just put in DarrenConnell podcast and it will come in. And yeah, that's that's the easiest way to get me all right so you know where to go guys um if you like this episode give us a review on amazon or itunes share it with your friends and if you did not then just be quiet <laughs> right. hopefully guys i'll see you next episode we've got some intriguing acts we've got a cirque du soleil clown coming on we've got a dj and comedy promoter coming on um and we've got a comedy promoter from Luxembourg coming on. So a lot of fun, guys.